0: Hey, I'm Jim Richards. Welcome to Impact Cyber Church. You know, we're going to be talking about the greatest Christmas present that God ever gave us. And we all know that Jesus is our source of salvation, but you know something? We're going to talk today about the fact that the curse is broken and you may be wondering what the heck that's got to do with the Christmas message. But I'm going to tell you, if we start factoring this into the Christmas message, Christmas will mean more to us, to our families, to all the people around us. And so, you know, I want you to In this broadcast today. I want you to end this time together with faith built up and courage ready to run at the world and conquer and win just like you're supposed to. And you can only do that when you absolutely know that the curse is broken. So, you know, get a pencil, get a pad, stick around and don't forget, be sure and share these messages with your friends. We want to bless everybody. We want to touch a billion people around the world and turn them into disciples and only you can help me do that. So I'll be right back. Don't go away. Listen, I know Christmas is just right around the corner, but it's not too late for you to download your free series, Creating Happy Holidays. Just click on the icon right there at the top right of your screen, and I'll tell you something, this is going to give you some tools to have a great holiday season. Like I said, you may be asking yourself, why in the world are we talking about the curse being broken right here at Christmas? Well, I'm going to tell you something. One of the greatest things that happened when Jesus came when he died, when he was raised from the dead, was that he broke and conquered and set us free from the curse of the law. And that becomes incredibly important on so many levels. As a matter of fact, one of the things you want to realize is see what God really wanted with mankind was a relationship because God is love. Love has this inherent need to express itself to those who have the capacity to receive it, who will Pass it on to other people, but also be able to respond in like manner. So God is relationship oriented. You know, God is a social, emotional, relationship oriented being. And the reason we know that is because we were created in his likeness and image. So God intended for us to have a relationship. Now, the problem became that when, remember, when sin came into the world, the first emotional response to man being in sin was fear. And keep in mind, you know, every time I talk about sin, I always correct this and make sure, because when we define sin, we only use half of the definition. We say that sin you know, is missing the mark or sin is falling short. Well, sin is falling short of the glory of God. And the glory of God is God's view, God's opinion, God's reality, you know, God's greatness in any situation. And his reality, his view, his opinion is always filled with his splendor, with his greatness, with his goodness, with all that he is. And so God wants this relationship with us. But the problem is when sin came in, man... It wasn't just that he committed some action that made him become less than the glory of God. It was the fact that he began to perceive himself as less than the glory of God. That was the whole temptation. It all started from man believing a lie, believing that he wasn't who God said that he was and perceiving that he was less than God. Well, when you come face to face with a perfect God, if your heart is not established in the fact that you are loved, that you are accepted, that you are made righteous, that you are whole, if you're not established in that reality, then fear is gonna manifest because if you see yourself as less than God, Sees you, you will hide from him just like Adam did on many different levels. You know, you might not hide behind a tree somewhere, but you'll emotionally hide from God. And so man had to have some way that he could escape this sin nature. And remember, the sin nature is to perceive yourself different than God perceives you. And the manifestation of that is always fear. Well, the Bible tells us, the book of Hebrews, the second chapter, that Jesus came to deliver those who all their lives were held captive By the fear of death. So delivering us from the fear of death, the fear of destruction, you know, ultimately what is death? Death is separation. That's from a biblical perspective. And so the ultimate death is separation from God. And man separated himself from God because of the way that he saw himself. Now the book of Colossians tells us something interesting. It tells us that at the cross, you know, that Jesus removed the enmity that existed in our minds. Now some people take that And as far as I know, I was the first person in America to talk about this being something that exists in somebody's mind. I wrote it in my grace book years, years ago, back in the 90s, was preaching it back in the 80s. And so a lot of people started running with that, not understanding what it really meant. I'm not saying, and the Bible is not saying, that there was no enmity between God. But the Bible is saying that that enmity existed because of what was in the mind of man. First of all, God never rejected man. God never wanted to destroy man. God didn't even really put man under curse and didn't even really put the world under the curse. Man brought the curse into the world. And as a result of that, you know, the Bible says that because of you, the earth is cursed. It doesn't say God did it, that God made it happen. God had given man authority here. But in man's point of view, in man's experience, he viewed it as God-caused the curse. So man's whole life in relationship to God began to be bound up in fear. And everything that God did from the motive of love, man interpreted from the idea and the motives of fear. You know, It's really interesting. I see some really good people posting on Facebook. They'll say, you know, the law was all about obedience and the law was all about performance, but Jesus came and gave us grace and grace is is all about the heart and about love. Well, no, actually the truth is The law never was just about external factors. The law was about the heart. If you go back, he said, believe these things in your heart. Do them from your heart. Trust God with your heart. Be in love with God. Love God. Love people. Love yourself. All that came from the Old Testament. It didn't just originate in the New Testament. But you see, we still think that God's intentions under the Old Testament were performance-based and fear-based, and they absolutely were not. And when Jesus came, He showed us what God's intentions was. He showed us how to understand the Old Testament, and He established the New Covenant. You know, I say this all the time. There's a difference between the Old Testament and the Old Covenant. The Old Testament is just the testimony that we have Written down in the first five books of the Bible were dictated from God. So there is absolutely nothing in those that we can wiggle out of, but we've got to apply them from God's motives. Then you have the historical books. Then you have things that people said in the Bible that may or may not have really been based on the truth. But because it's in the Bible, we just think it's truth. So we have a lot of trouble properly interpreting the Old Testament because we just don't understand the laws of interpretation and we don't understand that God always meant for things to be done for the motive of love. And then we have whole trouble understanding the Hebrew language and properly interpreting the Hebrew language. But here's the deal. Curse came. Now, the curse, you know, it's interesting. The word curse, again, that's one of those words that we think of the curse as a penalty that God causes a person to experience because of their violation of the law or their violations of the rules. But really, the word curse has more to do with being worthless. In other words, your life being worthless, being fruitless, with being disgraced. In other words, the way you live is unacceptable. The way you treat people is unacceptable. You're a disgrace because you don't trust God's wisdom and apply it in your relationship. It means to be contemptible. And so the idea behind the curse is not that this is something that God puts on you because of what you do as much as God established this and because he created man and he showed us how that we could and should live and the curse the becoming contemptible or having a disgraced life or, or having horrible circumstances or you know actually one Hebrew source says that the word curse means sheep for the slaughter in other words we put ourselves in a position to be slaughtered and we do that because we're afraid. We don't trust God. We don't trust God's motives for what he said. And so we put ourselves in a situation where our life becomes contemptible, where it becomes disgraceful, where it becomes that we become sheep headed for the slaughter by our decisions, not because God is pouring that out on us. But you know, the amazing thing is and the announcement that the angels made before Jesus or when they were announcing Jesus' birth, the announcement was that finally there's peace between God and man. And ultimately that means that finally, man can actually live a life that's better than the consequences that he deserves from actually being disgraceful or from actually making horrible mistakes from actually disobeying God's word. And you remember when we disobey God's word, it's because we don't trust God. And that's the heart of the problem. Listen, I'll be back in just a minute. Don't go away because I want you to get this. Hey, I know we're getting right up on Christmas, but I want to be sure that you get my gift to you. Creating Happy Holidays is a series that I put out there just for that reason, so people could have great holidays, enjoy it, enjoy their families, and get the most out of whatever celebrations they were having. Listen, if you'll just click right up on the top right-hand side of your screen, you can get access to this free gift right now. And I'm telling you, it's going to bless you. It's going to help you. It's going to help your family. You're going to have a great holiday. All right, you know, one of the most popular aspects of the Christmas story that we've all heard is about the angels appearing and, and singing, you know. A matter of fact, in the book of Luke, 2nd chapter, 13 verses, these shepherds were out in the field and it tells this story how that suddenly there was with the angel that had announced the birth of the Lord, a multitude of the heavenly host praising God and saying, Glory to God in the highest and on earth, peace, goodwill toward men. But now, so many times we have taken that to say peace between men or among men. You know, Jesus said, look, I didn't really come bring peace. I came to bring a sword because there's got to be a division between those who intend to walk in love, who intend to trust God's standard of what love is, and those who intend to be destroyers. He said, I'm gonna bring a sword because the wicked are gonna hate what I bring. And so he's not talking about peace among men. You know, I'm thankful that sometimes uh, during the Christmas season, some people have a conviction or a desire to live at peace with more people and they put more effort into living at peace. That's a good thing. But I want to tell you something. Absolute peace on earth will not come 100% until the end of the millennium. In other words, when Jesus comes back, and overthrows the Antichrist. And the Bible talks about us ruling and reigning with Him. We're not going to be ruling and reigning with Him in heaven. We're going to be ruling and reigning with Him here on earth where for a thousand years, men are going to have the opportunity to see how great life could have been if they had applied God's Word the way that he had intended. But there's gonna be people, there's gonna be millions of people that are still not gonna come to the Lord. There's gonna be millions of people that still wanna live in greed and selfishness. But for a thousand years, the earth is gonna be ruled in righteousness, but there will not be a 100% peace between men because there will be the wicked that we'll still be having to contend with. But at the end of that thousand years when there's the final uprising and finally all wickedness is removed from planet earth And actually the earth then is purged by fire and renewed. And you know it has to be because that's the only way the earth can survive after what man has done to it by bringing sin and fear into the earth. And then finally, New Jerusalem comes down here to earth. And this is where heaven will be. This is where we will spend eternity with God. And then there's going to be absolute peace. You say, then what's this scripture talking about? I'll tell you what it's talking about. It's talking about not peace among men, it's peace and goodwill toward men. See, finally, because the Messiah was coming, the enmity that existed between God and man in the hearts and minds of men who didn't believe the truth about God, didn't believe the truth about who we were to God. That enmity can finally be resolved, not just in their mind. It gets resolved by the blood of Jesus and by us being washed in the blood and becoming new creations. So, you know, no reason the heavenly hosts sing because they had not seen peace between man and God since the Garden of Eden. And so all of heaven is rejoicing over this. And remember, Jesus is called the Prince of Peace. Uh, We are taught to follow the peace of God. As a matter of fact, you should... Get out your concordance or your computer program or use one that's online and look and see how many times the Bible talks to us about living in peace and the value of living in peace. And of course, that starts with being at peace with God. Therefore, you're at peace with yourself. And when you're at peace with yourself, you can be at peace with other people and you can even become a peacemaker. But Jesus came not just to abstractly or in some strange mystical way to bring peace, To planet Earth, he came to establish the covenant of peace between God and man. You know, in Isaiah 52, we have the problem described to us, and that is that because people don't see God as he really is then the whole world blasphemes God because the leaders tell people that God is their problem, that God is the one that's causing the pain, that God is the one causing the suffering, that when you violate God's Word, He's going to kill you, He's going to hurt you, all these kinds of things. And so the religionists were turning the world against God and doing it in the name of God by preaching and teaching a corrupt message. But in Isaiah 52, he says, you know, a day's going to come when they see me as I am, and they're going to say, how lovely on the mountains are the feet of them, who publish the gospel of peace. And then in Isaiah 53, it tells about the exchange. It it tells how that Jesus gave his life for our life. I want to tell you something, folks. If you don't believe God's account of the death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus, you're going to struggle your whole life. You're going to struggle with assurance of salvation. You're going to struggle with trusting God. You're going to struggle with morality. You're going to struggle with dignity and worth. You're going to struggle with knowing and feeling the love of God. You're going to struggle with everything. And you may come up with all kinds of intellectual ways to make it sound like that you're doing great and because you've got this information, you're good and you and God are tight. But the real truth is... Quality of life comes by experiencing God, and you can't experience God unless you experience God based on His truth, based on His report. Isaiah 53 gives us the report of the exchange where Jesus literally became our sin. Why do you have to do that? Because man brought sin in the world. Only man could take sin out of the world. And you know, if you study the Old Testament about the feast and the Passover and the sin offering, you start understanding or you knew what was going to happen when the Messiah came because in the sin offering, you know, the priest and the person that was bringing the offering would lay hands on the lamb and confess their sins. And the concept is they impart those sins to that lamb. Now, that was just a type. That was a shadow. It wasn't a real thing. But God laid out our sins on Jesus is what Isaiah 53 says. Jesus died the death that we deserve. He was alienated from God. He went to Hades. He used his faith to be raised up from the dead. He received a righteousness and all of the inheritance of God because he refused to give up his trust for God. Even when he was separated from God, he believed God's word and held on to God's word. And then in Isaiah 54, it goes into explaining what happened in Jesus, how that was the place that God established the covenant of peace. Isaiah 54, 7 says, for a mere moment, and it's talking about Jesus, I have forsaken you, but with great mercies, I will gather you. With a little wrath, I hid my face from you for a moment, but with everlasting kindness, I will have mercy on you, says the Lord, your God, or your Redeemer. Then he says, for this, in other words, Talking about what happened in Isaiah 53, this time that I put wrath on you, this time that I poured wrath on you. You know, some people try to say God never had any wrath, so he couldn't have actually poured wrath on Jesus. Well, I'm sorry. That's what the Bible says everywhere that it talks about the cross, is that he took our wrath. He took our punishment. He became our sin, and this literally happened. And the Bible also tells you this is where you come to grasp the love that God has for you in the propitiation. And if you define propitiation, not only the way it is in the original language, but based on these biblical descriptions of what happened at the cross, you understand that propitiation is the satisfying and the reconciling of wrath. And so he says, for this, this time of me, pour my wrath out on you. This is like the waters of Noah to me. For as I have sworn that the waters of Noah would no longer cover the earth, so have I sworn that I would not be angry with you nor rebuke you. Now, keep in mind, because we're in Jesus, that means that he's not going to rebuke us. He's not going to be angry with us. He's not going to pour wrath on us because to do so, he would have to pour wrath on Jesus. You say... Are you saying God never corrects you? No, he does correct you. He teaches you. He leads you. He tries to take you down the path that you should go, but he doesn't do it through wrath. And you don't have to have fear. And that's the most incredible thing. We're freed from this curse and we don't have to live under fear of something bad happening to us because of our failures. But he goes on to say, for the mountains shall depart. And the hills shall be removed, but my kindness shall not depart from you, nor shall my covenant of peace be removed, says the Lord, who has mercy. On you. So in other words, he said, this is just like the waters of Noah. And I swore that I'd never destroy the earth by water again, put a rainbow in the sky. And that's been the sign of my covenant, not to ever destroy the world by water. But I did this in the blood of Jesus. And just like I swore that I'd never destroy the world by water, I'm swearing that I will never pour my wrath on Jesus again. And the key is we are in Jesus. Now, remember... Faith works by love. And I'm not saying faith works by our love. I'm saying faith, we are able to grasp and take hold of and trust God when we are not afraid of God. 1 John 4, I think 16 through 18 there, it tells us that when we're afraid of God, we're afraid of what He's going to do to us. So we're really not convinced fully that He loves us with a perfect love. And so when we believe God loves us with a perfect love, then we're able to have faith, and it says that love drives out fear. Because see, you can't have fear of someone and trust for someone at the same time. You know that's why in Romans 10:17, where Paul is talking about the gospel of peace being established, starting in verse 15, he says, "How beautiful are the feet of those who preach the gospel of peace, who bring glad tidings of good things." He's quoting from Isaiah 52. Then he goes to Isaiah 53, but they have not all obeyed or believed our gospel. For Isaiah says, Lord, who has believed our report? So then faith comes by hearing and hearing by the word of God. The word of God that you have to hear in order to eliminate your fear of God is the gospel of peace. Based on the covenant of peace, God has made peace with the Lord Jesus. And if you are in the Lord Jesus, you will never, 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 no matter what happens in planet Earth, no matter what all of the other wicked people in planet do, you will never, ever, ever face destruction. You'll never face wrath. God will not turn on you. He will not be angry with you because you're in Jesus. And you'll be able to trust that when you, in fact, believe how Jesus brought this peace. Man, the angels appeared, and for the first time since the Garden of Eden, there was going to be peace between man and God. Now, there was going to be an incredible price for that peace. Jesus was going to live a sinless life. He was going to overcome all temptation. He was going to die, become our sin, take our punishment, and be raised from the dead so that we could have peace with God. I'll be right back with my mentoring moment. If you've been plagued with depression or frustration or difficulty at the holidays, be sure and take this opportunity right there it is at the top right-hand side of your screen. Click on there and download Creating Happy Holidays. It's going to change your celebration. You know, people just keep asking me, What can I do to help? People are so excited about what's happening in their life. They're wanting to make sure other people have the same kind of experiences with God that they're having. That's why we call them world changers. Let me tell you two things that you can do. Number one, every single thing that you receive on here that helps you, that benefits you, repost it. Put all these messages on your Facebook page and send links out to all of your friends and tell them how it's helping you. Actually, there's three things because another thing you can do is be sure and like our YouTube YouTube channel. This is more important than almost anything else that you can do because the more you like our YouTube channel and if you subscribe to our YouTube channel, the more people will get exposed to it the way YouTube works. Also, the last thing is, of course, we always need finances. To reach the whole world costs money and we don't hit you up and we don't manipulate you, but I want you to have the opportunity to become a world changer and help finance the gospel going to the ends of the earth. You know, one of the things that you can do, and I would encourage you to do this, this is the mentoring moment where we start talking about getting practical. You know, the practical side of this is to study, to look at, learn everything you can about what Jesus accomplished at the cross. And many of you know one of the most powerful series I've put out in years is one called Three Days That Changed the World. You know, what happened from the cross to the throne and you know you might want to get that serious. You might want to spend any off time that you have in the holidays going through that. But you want to do everything you can so you see, understand, grasp, and believe fully what God did for you through the death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus. Because see everything about faith is based on what Jesus accomplished in reality, you know, from the cross to the throne. Nothing else would mean anything if Jesus had not become our sin, died, if he had not been our Passover lamb, paid the penalty that we should have paid, used his faith to be raised from the dead and overcome all the curse of the law and receive the inheritance from God. Nothing would mean anything if it were not for the resurrection. So all of your faith should be rooted in what God actually accomplished through The death, burial, and resurrection. You know, and then you might find ways to start incorporating this into the way you think. One of the interesting things, you know, here's what you should do during the rest of the Christmas holidays, is on a regular basis, just tell people, you know, God gave me a special Christmas present. And of course they're gonna say, What what do you mean God gave you a special Christmas present? And you're gonna say, God broke the curse of the law over me. The rest of my life, I get to live in the blessings of God. In other words, make this a part of your conversation. Study about it. You know, renew your mind. Make it a part of your conversation. Meditate on it because I'm telling you, you want to get to where you see this in your heart. You experience this in your heart. And for those of you who have responded to our special Christmas offer, you've probably got the I believe in God. So you use that meditation and transform everything about you and God.